another episode of the Pastoral Podcast. A Pastoral Podcast. My name is Tony Delariva, and I'm one of the elders at Firm Foundation Bible Church. And I am Lloyd Murphy. I'm also one of the elders here at Firm Foundation Bible Church. And we have uh, a really good topic today. Hopefully the sound is a little better. Rob Milburn, one of our uh, men-at-arms at Firm Foundation, mm. has provided us with some equipment to hopefully negate some of the uh, echo. Hopefully it works. Hopefully it hasn't made it worse. That's the kind of guy Rob is, you know. know. He's not just yeah. going to criticize, but he's going to give you he's the gonna equipment. Tell, yeah, he's going to he's going to set you on the right path, and then he's <laughs> yeah. going to equip you to walk it. That's right. <laughs> and he's going to provide a sufficient amount of motivation in the form of humiliation and insults. <laughs> <laughs> by his own admission, yeah. he'll do that. Yeah. You know? And by the way, if any of you other six listeners have any feedback, we're, <laughs> we're all ears. Yeah. And I, for one, and literally all ears. So, Well, right. hopefully this, uh, hopefully our new setup here improves the sound. But we have a really good topic today, and that is critical race theory. Mm. That's a good topic. Well, it's a good topic to try to deal with <laughs> from a bi- from a biblical perspective. Oh, thank you for that you clarification. Know, yes. Yeah, didn't know if you were going woke on us yeah. or something. <laughs> so, critical race theory, of course, has been a major force in whatever respect, in, in any way you want to chop it up. It's been a significant force in American society for the last three and a half years. So, three and a half years in. We want to look at it and talk about it and see what we have seen and what we've learned and what we know, and hopefully that will shed some light biblically on the subject. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's been around for uh, several decades, but no one really knew that term until just a few years ago, and it was like the tipping point where now it's like in our daily vocabulary. Yeah. So, I mean, it might be good just to define what it is, because I think a lot of times we're all talking about things, but we don't really know what we're talking about. So could you define what critical race theory is? Yes. So that is a really good place to start. Um, And you're right that it did. Of course I'm right. (laughs) It has been around for decades, and it actually comes from a uh, philosophical school of thought called critical theory, uh, but critical race theory got its name in 1989. Uh, but of course, its roots go far, far deeper than that. And the definition that I actually want to give it is by James Lindsay, uh, who is actually an atheist. Uh, but he is, you know, as we've talked about, a lot lately in different contexts at Firm Foundation. Uh, he is a social ally. Um, he's incredibly sharp. He is a philosopher and author and speaker, and he has done a lot of work on the, so, on the so-called grievance issues. And critical race theory is, is definitely one of the most important topics that he's covered. So in a talk entitled, What is Critical Race Theory? James Lindsay posted on his YouTube channel called New Discourses. 
uh, or new discourse, he defined critical race theory like this, a faith system founded on the belief that the fundamental organizing principle of society is racism created by white people for the benefit of white people. Mm. A faith system founded on the belief that the fundamental organizing principle of society is racism created by white people for the benefit of white people. A faith system. A faith system. Wow, that's is what he calls it. That's very interesting. I'd say I'm in agreement with an atheist on that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it's absolutely a faith system. Atheism is a faith system. <laughs> and this uh, critical race theory is not just a philosophy, but it's uh, really a belief system. You know, it's how you see the world. A worldview is shaped by your theology, and everybody has a theology, as we've talked before. So I think that's really profound that he would say something like that. Yeah. And, you know, as a secular in our society today, even people who aren't secular, people who uh, hold to even a form of Christianity that's basically cultural, they, they all define faith uh, not like we do. Like we define faith in, in, in terms of something like God is trustworthy and therefore we trust him. Like that's how we define faith. They define faith, of course, as latching on to some spiritual or metaphysical idea that you like best, regardless of whether or not it has uh, whether or not it has any basis in reality. Mm. So he's actually defining it that way. Mm. That's what he means, mm. you know. So of course we agree with him, <laughs> with our atheist friend, and then we depart from him at the definition of faith. But his what he's trying to convey nevertheless stands. You know, that this is something that doesn't actually have any basis in reality. It's just a concept that exists in people's minds, but it's nevertheless what they believe. Yeah, and that is why they're so vehement about it. Yeah. So, James Lindsay goes on to say, ultimately, that it's a conspiracy theory. And that is actually the term that he uses. Hmm. Let me just read another quote from him from that talk. He says, critical race theory is a grand conspiracy theory because it believes that the fundamental organizing principle of society is systemic racism that was created and is maintained by white people in order to maintain their advantage. And it's a weird conspiracy theory because it believes that most of the people who believe in and participate in the conspiracy don't know they're doing it. So he calls it a conspiracy theory. And it's the government, man. Yeah. <laughs> but that, that is, that's what he means by faith system. Ultimately, what he means is that it's a conspiracy theory. Mm. It's an idea that doesn't have any basis in fact or reality, uh, but it's something that people affirm nevertheless. In, in preparation for this, I actually did a little bit of research on conspiracy theories mm. because we all know what they are. Right? Like, yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) You should have just talked to me, Tony. (laughs) We all know what they are, but we don't really have, uh, I think, a working definition of what a conspiracy theory is, Mm -hmm. you know? So, 
Dr. Rob Brotherton has developed what he calls a conspiracy theory checklist. Uh, here, here are the features that you're looking for when you're trying to identify a conspiracy theory. Okay? The first one is, is the theory unusually evil? Mm. Would you say that critical race theory has an unusually evil aspect to it? I'd say yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would say the most sinister uh, aspect of it is that it poses itself as um, trying to eradicate racism when really it creates racism. Um, you know, it, it creates a system in which racism is, is at the forefront. Um, so, you know, however you want to define racism and so forth, but I, I think that's a really uh, sinister part of, of that whole philosophy. That is definitely a sinister part of that whole philosophy, but it's actually, going back to James Lindsay's definition, so society is organized, fundamentally organized on the principle of racism. And that's an endeavor by white people in order to keep everybody else down. Mm-hmm. Man, like, <laughs> that. I mean, to say that, like, how evil is that? Yeah. You know, I mean, right. that's incredibly evil. Okay, mm-hmm. so critical race theory definitely checks the first box of identifying a conspiracy mm-hmm. theory. Number two is that the evil actors, those who are carrying out this, this evil endeavor, they're unusually competent. They're they're so effective at carrying out their plan that that they're doing it on a massive scale, and they're doing it without being caught. Mm. What do you say? <laughs> uh, ding! Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. It's like James Lindsay says. You know, uh, it's it's a weird conspiracy theory because it believes that most of the people who believe in and participate in it don't even know they're doing it. Mm-hmm. Like the people who have developed this broad racist system that apparently has constructed Western civilization, they're so good at doing it that everybody's participating and they don't even know it. Right. That's incredible. Yeah. Again, uh, man, I'm telling you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's another mark of a conspiracy theory, according to... Number three. Yeah, Dr. Brotherton, PhD in psychology. The theory is currently unproven. Okay? That's why it's a theory. That's why it's a a theory. So, investigation is always ongoing. The curtains just haven't been pulled back yet, man. They just (laughs) haven't found them, man. Yeah. You know? They will, though. They will. But as of yet, they haven't. Mm -hmm. But, of course, it's because the actors are so good at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They're so great at hiding it. Right. So... Yes, I would say it checks box number three. And here's the other one. Is this number four? This is number four. And it's kind of related. Can it be proven false? That's the Mm. fourth feature that you're looking for in identifying a conspiracy theory. So, can critical race theory be proven false? Well, I'd say technically, yes. Yeah. But... Anyone who denies it has their back up against the wall, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, and the minute you deny it, you're proving it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I'm not racist. Yeah. You know? Oh, you just proved you are. Yeah. You know, two things on that. There, there's, that there's that line, you know, that, that 
that famous line, I wish that I could remember where it came from right offhand. But one of the crucial questions in studying this whole issue from a, a, the, the perspective of critical race theory uh, is not whether or not racism exists, but where was racism to be found in this in this scenario? You know, you take any given scenario, you take an interaction between a quote unquote person of color uh, and, and, a, and a white cashier at Walmart or the other way around. Uh, and, the, and the question is not whether or not racism happened, but where was racism seen in that exchange? Right. So you can't prove anything to somebody who believes that. Yeah, and all of the subcategories that go along with it, you know, um, white fragility, for instance, yeah. is the idea that if you're in that scenario, you're the white person, you immediately are uneasy yeah. about the situation, and you don't even know it. Like, how can you, how can you prove that wrong? Because, again, the minute you say, no, I'm not, what are you talking about? Oh, see, you're, you're proving it because you're getting upset. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a battle that you can't win. John Gerstner, R.C. Sproul's, uh, R.C. Sproul's mentor. I was listening to a lecture by him several years back, and he said there's a difference between proof and persuasion, and you can't prove anything to, to anybody who doesn't like what you're trying to prove. Mm. You know, if they don't like what you're trying to be, if they don't like what you're trying to prove, then they're not going to be persuaded. Uh, and something like that is absolutely true when it comes to critical race theory, because like you said, that if you deny it, then your back is already against the wall as a perpetrator. Mm. You know, and one of the interesting things, too, that this Dr. Brotherton points out, you know, is that if you don't see the proof, that is proof in the eyes of those who hold to the conspiracy theory that you've been duped and that you're a part of the whole system, mm -hmm. you know. so. You cannot disprove critical race theory as an actual thing. Mm. So literally, in every single respect, it checks the box of an actual conspiracy theory. Mm. There is no, no evidence anywhere. I mean, it is so uh, impossible to prove that they have to say, like James Lindsay did, that the people who are participating in it, they don't even know it. Mm. And that is what they say. Yeah. Okay. So that's critical race theory, okay. conspiracy theory. Okay. All right. So as James Lindsay says, and I think he nails it on the head, he says that it's a faith system founded on the belief that the fundamental organizing principle of society is racism created by white people for the benefit of white people. Hmm. Ibram X. Kendi, who is one of the thought leaders for uh, the the, the quote-unquote anti-racist movement. He's one of the big promoters of this whole notion of critical race theory. Ironically enough, in his book, How to Be, a, how to Be an Anti-Racist, here's how he defines racism. Racism is a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequity and are substantiated by racist ideas. Okay? So what is racism? Well, racism is racism, is what he says. <laughs> yeah. Define Great it for Great definition me. there. Yeah, yeah. Like, he hasn't done anything to define it. And going back to James Lindsay's definition, you know, you, you could just swap out presupposition for his, uh, for his word belief there. 
It's founded on the presupposition that the fundamental organizing principle of society is racism. They're just assuming it right out of the get, right out of the gate, mm-hmm. you know. And you, we could just quote definition after definition, which Kendi covers in chapter one. Uh, a racist is a person who supports racist policy through their actions or inactions, uh, or it's somebody who expresses a racist idea. Uh, so if you're not doing anything to combat racism, then you're a racist, according to him. And you can be a racist regardless of how you feel or what your disposition is or posture is uh, toward other races. You know, that's kind of immaterial. The, the, the idea of equality and inequality comes up over and over again in his definition. Mm-hmm. Racism is a powerful collection of racist policies that lead to racial inequity, mm-hmm. he says. Racial inequality is when different racial groups do not share the same level of power in society, he says. You know, a racist policy, according to Kendi, is any measure that produces or sustains racial inequality between racial groups. It just comes up over and over and over again. Which brings up the term that was, at least for a good couple of years in all of this was thrown around constantly systemic racism. Yeah. Which is the idea that racism is, is just baked into the fabric of, you know, we're just automatically racist. If you're white. Right. That's right. right. You know, that's the qualifier. If you're not white. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I guess you're, you're not a racist, but uh, white people certainly are just by virtue of being white. That's right. And, and then again, unpacking that more you know i mentioned white fragility there's white privilege um and you know that's the idea that just by virtue of being white we're more privileged of course thomas Sowell, of course economist historian he's maybe done more work on the history of race relations not only in the united states but all over the world i mean he's he's probably done more work on that subject than anybody else living and he talks about that same dynamic that is certainly a reality from time to time. And that is that there is such a thing as oppression and there are, uh, it's not uncommon all over the world going back to the beginning of time for minorities to be oppressed. You know, of course the great argument in our current American context is, is whether or not the system itself is actually designed to oppress specifically people of color and if it was designed that way by white people, uh, and if there has ever been anything done whatsoever to combat racism or oppression in American society, that's the question. But again, we're back to the conspiracy theory of th- that the proof doesn't really matter because the whole assumption is that our entire system, the entire Western civilization uh, is developed on the basis of racism for the purpose of oppressing people of color. I mean, there there are like 50 different things that you can think about that are wrong with that. You know, like a guy like Ben Shapiro, uh, who is Jewish, but everybody who came after 2000 has almost completely forgotten the fact that for uh, the entirety of the history of the United States, you know, Irish people were looked at as minorities. Italians were looked at as minorities. 
Jews were certainly looked at as minorities, mm -hmm. and these people have no ability to see anything else besides the color of skin. So, what is the critical, you know, that word critical in critical theory, critical race theory is pretty important. Mm -hmm. What does the word critical mean? Well, of course, like, we have textual criticism mm -hmm. as Christians, right? And what is textual criticism? Well, that's where you're looking at the manuscripts of the original languages and you're evaluating them, uh, comparing them, looking for possible variants and what the original reading would be. So you're, you're critiquing them. You're taking a critical eye to them. Um, that, that's the idea of criticism. So it's not a, a negative thing. It's, it's really a positive thing. But, the, I, I mean, the word critical comes from the idea of um, examining. Right. And, yeah, that's absolutely right. Because of textual criticism, we can say with absolute certainty, uh, well, we can say with absolute certainty that we have God's word because God is trustworthy. Mm -hmm. But we have the comfort of seeing that confidence corroborated through the findings of textual criticism, through mm -hmm. the science of textual criticism. Uh, in other words, it just confirms to us that the Bible is, in fact, God's word. So in itself, it's not, it's not a bad thing, the whole idea of criticism of some kind. But in critical race theory, as we said, uh, critical race theory is just a specific discipline within the broader philosophical field of critical theory generally. Okay, so one of the tenets of critical race theory, according to James Lindsay, which, by the way, he points out 13 of them, and what he says in his, in his talk, he says that I'll, I'll spare you, uh, kind of implying that there are dozens upon dozens. And if you've ever read a book or an article, a quote-unquote scholarly journal from somebody who writes these things, you know that it's like the word salad of all word salads, mm -hmm. right? So that's what he's talking about when he says, I'll spare you and I'll only choose 13, because they never run out of points, these people. Well, one of the things that he says about critical race theory, one of its core tenets, is that it is a critique of liberalism, that is Western liberalism, the whole idea of a free society and individual rights. Uh, it's a critique of liberalism and the very foundations of the liberal order. In other words, it's a critique of Western civilization and the very foundations of Western civilization. So it's a critical view of those things. And then according to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, Here's, here's how they define critical theory. A theory is critical to the extent that it seeks human emancipation from slavery or to the extent that it acts as a liberating influence and works to create a world which satisfies the needs, uh, uh, the needs and powers of human beings. Such theories, critical theories, aim to expand and transform all the circumstances that enslave human beings. Hmm. So like right at the very root of critical theory is the oppressor-oppressed dynamic. Right, which is a Marxist idea. Yep. Which is interesting to me because if you research critical theory, 
you know, they, they claim that it's a mixture of all sorts of different philosophies. And of course, Marx is one of them. But it's interesting to me that Marxism winds up being the main issue at the end of the day, because the idea of being critical in the first place with this oppressor-oppressed dynamic is the foundational principle of Marxism. So it's trying to explain the struggles that we find in our modern day, the conflicts of our society, and this is their model. The model is that there's an oppressor and there's those who are oppressed, and critical race theory is inserting the idea that racism really is at the hub of all of that, right? Yep, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's the whole idea. When you think of the word critical, the idea that you should immediately have in your mind is oppressor versus oppressed. Mm. That is the concept that is tied up in the word critical. Uh, And, of course, like you said, the key dynamic on which the whole oppressor-oppressed conflict plays out in Western civilization is race, Mm -hmm. which that's really ironic, too, because one of the features of critical race theory is that it claims that race is a social construct, but then it turns around and and imposes race on all of us in Mm -hmm. every single way. Mm -hmm. Right. You know? Yeah. You know, you, you say that it's Marxist. You point out the Marxist roots of critical race theory, and that's absolutely right. Um, and James Lindsay does an incredible job of really demonstrating how that is, in fact, the case. One of the fathers of critical race theory is Herbert Marcuse, who was a German uh, Marxist philosopher right, right in the mid-1900s. Um, and he's widely recognized today as, quote-unquote, the father of the new left. Uh, so James Lindsay says without question, you know, he says in very explicit terms that critical race theory is Marxist. The The thing about Marxism, though, is that it actually predates Marxism, you know, <laughs> because it's grounded not in this system that Marx, uh, that Marx himself articulated, but it's grounded in this fundamental presupposition in the heart of man that says that some people are responsible for everybody else's woes. Mm. You know, Thomas Sowell in in his book, A Conflict of Visions, uh, that's his very point in that book, is that this is, uh, this is really a presupposition, and every single human being holds one of these two presuppositions. You either assume that the world is an imperfect place, uh, you yourself are morally flawed along with everybody else, and so there are certain limitations. Uh, that that places on what you can expect out of yourself and out of others. Mm. You know, you're going to sin against me and I'm going to sin against you. And not only that, I might sin myself right out of some opportunity from time to time. You know, we're lazy and we have regrets and we, we're neglectful and we miss opportunities. And sometimes we don't take advantage of things and whatever else. I myself am limited by the very nature of humanity in the world. That's one assumption that rests in the human heart. And you, as you know, as Christians, we would say that that's actually the stated articulation of reality of the Bible. Mm. You know, it's called a fallen world. We're called sinners. Uh, the other assumption is that people's biggest problem in the world is systems and social structures that hold them down. And if we just get rid of those people who are creating those systems that hold people down, then we'll have this whole utopian existence. Thomas Sowell, he goes all the way back to the Enlightenment 
where that whole idea was first articulated. You know, he cites Rousseau, who said, mm. "Man is born free, but everywhere in chains." That's kind of the yeah. that's the essential uh, the essential premise uh, of that whole collectivist idea that is articulated by Marx and that runs today right through critical race theory. It's the whole assumption that those people are your biggest problem in the mm-hmm. world. And if we can get rid of them, then we can fix all of your problems. Yeah. Well, you were mentioning that we're you know, three and a half years into this really dawning on the scene in the main to where critical race theory has become one of the biggest issues in our society. And I think it's interesting that with the dawn of this whole idea of critical race theory in in mainstream public life also came the bursting forth like never before of the LGBTQ movement. And what I find interesting and what I've said a number of times is that the idea of race in this whole conversation is really a Trojan horse for this entire movement of ungodliness. Because while they speak of race, the conversation quickly turns to the idea of equality, inequality, and it becomes comparing race with these ideas of homosexuality, transgenderism, and all of these things. So you put all of this in the same basket. You know, and theologically, we would say those are uh, two different baskets. Those are apples and oranges, because with the idea of racism, which as Christians, we would say, however you want to define it, there is some idea of racism where, you know, you have one ethnic group that is hateful towards another, let's say. Right. And we would tackle that as an issue of the image of God in man. We would deal with that biblically from that perspective. The other one is an issue of morality. So these are two different issues, and yet they've been blended together, and they've they've done so really under this broader heading of critical theory and even critical race theory, and you kind of move from that to talk about intersectionality, um, where you have a hierarchy of oppression, right? Yeah. So you have uh, different categories within that. So of course, you have the feminists who've got to get in there with, you know, women are oppressed. And then you've got the racist issue in there. That's part of it. There, you know, you're oppressed because of your, your color. And then you have the issue of homosexuality and transgenderism all in the same basket. And it's, it's a, a hierarchy so that you have some groups that are more oppressed than others, but uh, they're all really in this one basket of equality, inequality. You know, that's a really, really interesting point because in Ibram Kendi's How to Be an Anti-Racist, which was published in 2019, he includes, okay, he includes, he has a chapter on biology Mm. in his book. He has a chapter on gender. Mm. You know, he discusses the, the, the sexual orientation issue. And they all go under the same banner. It's the fruit of a worldview that has rejected God's standard. It's rejected a basic Christian view of right and wrong. Uh, So it's very much post-Christian. But on the other hand, 
like you said, based right, baked right into it is the whole oppressor-oppressed dynamic. And it just runs right down the list on every single one of their issues. Transgenderism, ultimately about oppressor, oppressor and oppressed. Uh, homosexuality, ultimately about oppressor and oppressed. That's what it's all about, and they all go together. Uh, and it just demonstrates more than anything else that we're not operating, we're not dealing with people who are operating on facts, quote-unquote, or on observations about society or observations about humanity. We're dealing with people who are operating out of a certain worldview. Mm-hmm. And it is an unchristian and anti-Christian worldview. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why in recent days, with all of this that, you know, we supposedly, you know, we're revolutionizing our culture with all of this in the last few years. and But the same people that are saying all of this have turned largely on Israel once again, yeah. right? Yeah. Uh, and anti-Semitism has just come out of the woodworks. Yeah. I don't really know where this goes in the conversation, but critical race theory, it doesn't hinge on the idea that oppression exists necessarily because we acknowledge that. You know, as a matter of fact, one of the, one of the uh, castigations of Old Testament Israel is that they were oppressive, is that they were oppressing the poor. So we don't deny at all that oppression exists in society. As a matter of fact, we fully acknowledge that there was a time when black people and people of color were oppressed in the United States. Like, nobody denies that. And that was wrong. But critical race theory doesn't hinge on the idea that oppression exists as such. And it also doesn't hinge on the idea that there's racism as such. Racism is one of the incurable cancers of the sinful human heart Mm. you know it exists everywhere uh it exists among mexicans toward other mexicans it's always existed among europeans against other europeans there's no like you know it exists on the continent of africa against people who for all intents and purposes share identical cultures but critical race theory doesn't even hinge on the fact that racism exists it hinges on the fact that white people are racist. Mm. That's what it comes down to. Right. You, do, do you know what the largest income gap is in the United States? Like the highest income gap between which two races? Do you know? <laughs> it's actually between Japanese and Mexicans, mm. surprisingly enough. But nobody is going after the Japanese for being racist against Mexicans. Mm. People aren't interested in that. They're not interested in any of the actual statistics about any races, uh, period, in the United States. What it really is, let's just call it for what it is. It's anti-white racism. Mm. That is what critical race theory ultimately is. It's anti-white racism. I mean, for many reasons, we reject it. But as racism, we reject it period. And so I've been talking for a long time and I don't mean to do it, but I think we've kind of exhausted what critical race theory is, at least for our purposes. But I think this is a good point to transition into critical race theory and evangelicalism. Yeah. Because we say here we are as Christians who affirm the inspiration and authority and the sufficiency of God's word. And because of that, we say that we reject it. And yet, There are evangelicals out there who say that because they're evangelical, they accept it or they accept certain of its tenets. 
yeah, it's it's just been so heartbreaking to me to see so many solid evangelicals, historically solid evangelicals who have just bought right into this. Um, talk about being duped. Um, I remember sitting in my office in, in 2020 and there was so much going on and you know, I, I was keeping up with the headlines here and there, but I've never really had my finger on the pulse of the latest you know, evangelical scandal. I'm not, you know, checking my Twitter feed every five minutes. And so, you know, I didn't really know all that was going on. And I got a call from uh, someone and they were talking to me about uh, a prominent evangelical who had marched in a, in a rally with BLM. And I said, I, I defended the person. I, mm-hmm. I said, I, I think you're probably mistaken. Um, you know, I, I, that person would never do that. You know, I think you're probably thinking of someone else. I'll look into it, but you probably want to, you know, check your facts. And, and the person humbly said, okay, maybe I'm mistaken. And, and, and so right when I got off the phone, I Googled it and sure enough, Mm. they were right. And so I had to call them right back and say, please forgive me for questioning you. You were right. And this is heartbreaking. And we just kind of shared a moment of, of, uh, just dismayed together because, I could not believe it. And then it just went from there. And, you know, you think, okay, well, maybe an initial reaction, but once they really understand uh, all of these things, they're going to, you know, denounce that and move forward. But no, uh, you have prominent evangelicals to this day who are what we would term as woke. Um, they they are just um, not only affirming these things, but I have actually heard them saying that, uh, these are good things. In fact, Jonathan Lehman, uh, who has done a lot of good work with Nine Marks and, you know, a lot of helpful things that that ministry has put out, but he has a, a little YouTube video where he calls identity politics, which is really, you know, part of this whole hub of critical theory and intersectionality and so forth. He calls it an unexpected ally in helping us read our Bibles. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That is unreal. Yeah. And, and it's like he's trying to give, you know, the whole church a tutorial about how critical race theory is this tool, this lens to help us. You know, Matt Chandler had a, a YouTube video teaching his congregation and the whole world, you know, really on YouTube uh, about what white privilege is and how we can um, become more familiar with it and avoid white privilege. And he actually says in that video, him and I, he and I are the, the exact same age, I believe. And he says in that video that he grew up in, you know, white suburban area. And when he was a kid on TV, you know, the, there weren't any, you know, black kids in his neighborhood when he was growing up and, you know, not many black kids at school or anything like that. And that when he would watch TV, there wouldn't be any black people on TV. And right then I said, time out. When I was your age, the the number one sitcoms on TV were the Cosby Show, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, yeah. the Jeffersons. I mean, you go down the list, like, yeah. it's, just, it's just a lie. Yeah. And they're duped into this. And they think that this fake humility that they're showing uh, is going to somehow appease their audience. And it's sad. And the reason it's sad is is not because 
you know, I'm trying to throw these guys under the bus by naming them. I'm naming them because people need to be aware of what these guys are teaching. Um, but what I'm concerned about and what upsets me and makes me genuinely angry is the fact that they are just throwing the sufficiency of Scripture under the bus. Yeah. Because that's really the issue here. Yeah. You know, when you say you need anything other than the Bible to help us interpret the Bible, this is a helpful tool for us to understand God's Word. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, but you fell off a long time ago. Yeah. You know, and, and just to maybe even put a little bit of a finer point on that, Nobody denies that there are certain scientific or factual realities. Well, what you're talking about, what you're getting at, is that they're taking ideas that are born out of a secular, anti-Christian view of the world. Right, you know, that's it's, what I'm Yeah, right, exa- exactly. Yeah, so it's not, science. there is no conflict between science and the Bible. If God created everything, then any study of his universe... Reveals facts about his universe. But we're talking about something that even an atheist says is a conspiracy theory. Right. <laughs> yes. Okay. And you yeah. got an evangelical saying, we need this to help us understand. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And yes, it is a fallen secular human idea. And they have taken man's fallen rationalism. And they are using that as some kind of interpretive equivalent when it comes to the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is what is absolutely unacceptable. Absolutely. And it, and it really comes down to an issue of sufficiency of Scripture, yeah. which, which to me, that that's really troubling. Because if you can so easily follow along with the culture on something like this, that to me is just so clearly... Uh, you know, like as we've said, it's a false philosophy. It's a it's human wisdom of the worst kind. And if you can so easily just go right along with that and actually support it and actually endorse it and actually teach your people that they need to make use of this, what else? What's next? Yeah. And that's why it bothers me when I you know I brought up the whole idea of the whole critical race theory being the Trojan horse. How easily Satan has positioned all of this and you see people who claim to be evangelicals now embracing the lgbtq movement i'm not saying those guys that i mentioned you know they're they're not doing that praise god but andy stanley certainly is and you could say well you know as as moeller said you know the train left the station a long time ago or whatever but but still uh you know we're gonna see it more and more i mean we see um rick warren you know, pleading with the SBC to accept his standard on women being uh, ordained as pastors. I mean, that's crazy for an evangelical to do that. And you say, well, uh, that's very far from LGBTQ. I say, no, it's it's not that far. It's about 20 years away or less. And as rapidly as things have gone since 2020, who knows how fast. You know, what we're talking about is a culture a culture that has by and large departed from a basically Christian worldview. It's based it's abandoned God's basic definitions of gender, of gender roles, of right and wrong, and that has crept into the church, and that is not a new dynamic. Uh that's a very old dynamic, but that is the dynamic exactly that we're looking at today with these things. 
and it does just kind of put the issue before us. Are you going to be renewed in your mind? You know, like Paul talks about in Romans, are you going to be renewed in your mind or are you going to be conformed to the shape of this world? Uh, and so you have our godless society coming up with all these ideas that cut right across the face of what God's revealed standard and will is. And they've embraced the world's notions of these things. But let, let me come back. Okay, so some of these evangelicals, these prominent evangelicals who 10 years ago I looked at as heroes, mm. you know, I I read their books and I I rushed to listen to them at conferences. Uh, and now, of course, they've embraced aspects of this uh, critical race theory. What is their motive for that or what's their premise what's fueling that what what is it that they're seeing uh in their embrace of it or in opposition to it like why are they why are they flocking to that hmm. well i have to say that in fairness i think some of these guys live in different contexts than i do and i think that you know they're surrounded by a lot more of this controversy um and and things and so i think that that's part of it, but I don't think that's all of it because there are guys that are in the same kind of diverse cultures like that that are not doing that. Um, so ultimately, I think it has to do with the hunger for continuing in popularity, in um, you know not having to face uh, the backlash that's going to come by standing up against things that are just sweeping the culture. Mm. And again, to give these guys the benefit of, of the doubt, I think that ultimately it, it's uh, the fact that they are blind to it. I think that they uh, are, you know, somewhere along the way, they let some cracks creep in in their, uh, in their conviction about the sufficiency of Scripture. And... Here's where the floodgates have begun to open and they don't even see it. And that's the scariest thing to me. Because when when you're giving in to a, a false philosophy and even promoting it and you don't even realize it, that's really frightening. And that's why I say, how far is this going to go? Um, so that would be my answer. You know, you'd have to sit down with individuals and ask them exactly why but i think you'd get a whole lot of mucky muck answers that would really at the end of the day you'd have to make your own decision and i think you'd come up with with something about what i've said yeah. uh, also to their credit they are recognizing actual wrong and i think part of i think that's part of what they're reacting against they're reacting against genuine wrongs of the past racism is a genuine sin regardless of what direction it's going by the way there's a definition from 2003 by george frederickson who was a professor at stanford university he he defined racism like this it exists when one ethnic group dominates excludes or seeks to eliminate another on the basis of differences that it believes are hereditary 
and unalterable. Mm. Like he's talking specifically about the immutable characteristic of something like what we would call race or ethnicity. Yeah. And that's at the heart of it. In other words, you hate those people because of their race yeah. or because of their color. That's the way that it was historically defined. Mm -hmm. And of course, critical race theory doesn't do that at all. Critical race theory says that it's white people trying to mistreat everybody else. Mm -hmm. But racism, as it has historically been understood up until five minutes ago, uh, is a sin. And these guys, to their credit, are acknowledging that. And in a sense, you know, they feel like they're trying to justify that or rectify that. And, mm -hmm. and, in, the, and in that sense, hey, that's, that's all well and good. There's a lot more to say about that, but the real response to the actual sin of racism is not to say, well, we need to punish the oppressive group. <laughs> right. You know, and, but that is exactly what they've done. Mm -hmm. that, that is exactly the idea that they've embraced. Mm -hmm. Like, like uh, you know, David Platt, you know, he says, well, there was nothing but white people in my world. Okay, look. But the town that I grew up in, in Fresno County, California, uh, my town is about 80% Mexican. So guess what, David Platt? Every single person that I knew growing up was Mexican. Mm. All of them. And, and guess what? You go to Mexico, everybody's Mexican. <laughs> you know? You go to Nigeria. I mean, you talk to the average Nigerian, every single person in their world is Nigerian. You know, you go to Japan, every single person in their world is Japanese. Mm. So... Hey, David Platt, that's the way that cultures and societies have always worked since the beginning of time. You know, I fail to see how that's the problem or the fault of any white person. Mm -hmm. And that's the like that's the whole danger in all of this. It is. And it goes right back to exactly what we're talking about. The whole problem is, is that it's not against racism. It's against white people. That white people have done something, uh, something uniquely horrendous. Uh, when it hasn't been uniquely horrendous on, on the one hand, uh, but on the other hand, the, 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 the right response to it is not to, not to jump off the, the cliff of there being some unique problem with white people. That is not the right response to it. Right. And that's the whole thing that we're getting at. Yeah. The right response to the wrongs of the past. Look. <laughs> Preach it, Tony. <laughs> You know, I've been called some bad things in my life. I chalk it up to unique idiocy. The right corrective to genuine wrongs of the past is to come to the right conclusion and not just reverse the error, you know, not just reverse the crime. There was a crime in the past of racism. The right response is not to embrace a new kind of racism. Can you imagine a, can you imagine a more horrendous or unbiblical idea? Mm. No, it, and like I said, back to the sufficiency of Scripture, all of these issues that we're talking about in our society are solved on page one of the Bible, literally. Yeah. <laughs> page one. Yeah. And if you would just preach that, and you would call people to repentance for deviations from that, then they could individually deal with whatever their individual sins are, and that's all we're ever called to do. We're not yeah. called to atone for the sins of our forefathers. Um, scripture's clear about that. Yeah. We're, you know, we're called to uh, account for our own sins. Yeah. And uh, we deal with those through repentance, and we deal with those through genuine forgiveness and reconciliation on an individual level. And, and so 
Yeah, that's the right response. And that's what's frustrating is when you see evangelicals who claim the authority and sufficiency of the scriptures using some godless philosophy like this to try to help us deal with all of these social ills. Like, uh, no, it's always been ultimately the gospel, the gospel, the perfect man, Jesus Christ. And, you know, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation and unto all of our needs. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is uh, the irony of all ironies is that these evangelicals are reacting to a real problem with the identical problem, just cutting the other direction. Uh, When the reality is, like you said, that the Bible is sufficient to equip us with how to understand our problems uh, and what to do about it. And the gospel actually is what gives us the power to enact what what the Bible gives us Mm. to deal with these very problems. So what what are some passages that speak directly to these issues that we're talking about? You know, the problems of not only the horrific, error of critical race theory one of the worst ideas that humanity has ever come up with uh but the real wrongs of racism well as i said page one (laughs) (laughs) um you know genesis chapter one um verse 27 god created man in his own image in the image of god he created him male and female he created them talking about all mankind and when you go to acts chapter 17 paul is very clear about that in fact you just referenced this passage in your sermon this last sunday um in in another context but he's he's preaching to um you know largely gentiles obviously in athens and he says that uh god made from one one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. Um, So here we have all nations coming from this one man, all in the image of God. So the answer to racism, boom. Well, we're done with that. What's next, right? Yeah, yeah. What's next? And and I'm I'm not being facetious. I mean it. What's next? Yeah. If you're a racist, you're in sin because of those two verses. Okay, what's next? That's just Bible. Yeah. Scripture verse, page one, and then applied the New Testament. Okay, we're done with that question. That's how that's how we need to approach these things. Yeah. With the authority of the Word of God, not with something that, you know, some godless philosopher has come up with. And when we think about those godless philosophies, the Bible addresses those as well. I'm I'm thinking of Second Corinthians. Uh, chapter 10, where Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we're taking captive every thought to obedience of Christ. So that's what we do with those philosophies. Yeah. We we take them captive to the obedience of Christ. I'm thinking of Colossians chapter 2, where Paul warns there. He says, don't be carried away by worldly philosophies. 
Um, don't, don't be defrauded by these things. Um, don't allow yourself to, to be carried away by man's wisdom. And then I'm, you know, I'm also thinking of First um, Corinthians chapter one, where Paul says something very similar, and uh, really the definitive passage on this, where he says, "The word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God." For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. So you have Paul saying here that we don't need worldly wisdom yeah we need the gospel we need the word of god it's all sufficient you know let me go back to page one of the bible made in the image of god that is why we uh, oppose abortion as christians because those are not that's not a clump of cells that's a little human life that's made in the image of god and that's where human dignity comes from which by the way the the irony is is not that there was slavery or racism in the West, although, as even Thomas Sowell himself rightly points out, it is kind of a shame that such a that such a gross error existed for so long uh, in the in in a society whose cultural foundation is the Bible. Even so, it's not it's not a curiosity that slavery or racism existed in the West. What is what is really curious is why it ended there. Uniquely in the West, you know, the whole notion of this kind of racial tribalism was defeated here. Why? Mm. Because of the belief that men are made in the image of God. Because that is where man gets his dignity from. I don't get my dignity from being a Mexican or from being white or from being straight, you know, or from being a man or from being a woman. I get my dignity from being made in God's image. Mm. And the Bible itself actually applies it that way. And that's really the interesting thing. I'm thinking of James chapter 3. You know, with our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. Mm. My brothers, this should not be. So in other words, it's a sin to curse another human being, to slander another human being, to malign them with my words because they're made in God's image. I'm thinking also of Job chapter 31. You know, Job is vindicating himself, and rightly so. He's worked hard to keep a clear conscience. He's worked hard to walk in integrity before man and the Lord. And he says in Job chapter 31, when in this in this whole kind of litany of vindications of himself, he says in verses 13 through 15, he says, If I have rejected the cause of my manservant or my maidservant, when they brought a complaint against me. Okay, in other words, uh, these people had needs and they had problems and they were mistreated and abused. There were issues that they were bringing to me to rectify. He says, what then shall I do when God rises up if I've rejected their causes? When he makes inquiry, what shall I answer him if I've mistreated these people? That's what he says. And then his concluding point is in verse 15. He says, did not he who made me in the womb make him 
And did not one fashion us in the womb? In other words, he's their creator and they're made in his image. So what in the world would he do to me if I've mistreated them? Mm. You know, that's a sin to be judged. The Bible itself applies the, the, the doctrine of man made in the image of God. Here's the way that it applies it. Treat other people with dignity. So I'm just echoing your point. You know, that we don't, uh, we don't react against racism of the past by embracing a new kind of racism. We don't do that. We double down on the reality that man is made in God's image. Mm. So I, I remember, you know, the last podcast that I listened to of Nine Marks, I used to listen to their podcast, man. I used to listen to Jonathan Lehman. And the last one that I listened to was about two and a half years ago, and it was on Deacons. And they were arguing for the case that you should factor in race. Race is a legitimate factor when you're choosing deacons. And I turned it off, man. And I haven't listened to those guys since. Mm. You do not correct a real sin by embracing another kind of sin. You double down on man-made in God's image. Mm. You know? Amen. What are some other texts? Can we just mention a few more texts that deal with this issue before we close it? Well, the capstone text for me is 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. All mm. scripture is God-breathed. Yeah. And it's profitable for four things. For teaching, that is teaching us what's right, all that God has revealed to us, what he wants us to know, what his will is. Secondly, for reproof, it teaches us what's wrong with us. And then thirdly, it teaches us how to correct that. It's for correction, how to correct those things, how to make them right. And fourthly, to train us comprehensively in righteousness, to discipline us unto godliness, so that it does all those things, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Not, wow. not some good works. Not almost every good work, so I guess we're going to have to go out and, you know, see what the philosophers have to say about it, you know, or the talking head on the news. But every good work, that means that Scripture is sufficient. So if we really do believe that, then we need to preach that. And we preach it by coming to the Bible for our answers about all these things. Yeah. And... You know, those places where the Bible gives us that kind of equipment, that those kinds of correctives are in the passages that we're talking about. You know, like the reality of man made in God's image. I've, I've thought so many times over the last few years that there are only two ways that you can think. There are only two conceivable ways to think about people, man. You can think about people as individuals who stand on their own two feet between before you and God. Or you can think of them as members of groups. And invariably, all throughout human history, you go anywhere, anytime, any place in the history of humanity, and you look at places where people have understood each other fundamentally as members of groups, and what you're going to find is conflict and hostility and bloodshed, and in some cases, genocide. Hmm. Uh, it, is, it is about as toxic an idea as you could possibly imagine. It's as, it's as destructive an idea as you could possibly have. And the whole corrective to it is man-made in God's image. That's the most fundamental corrective to it. But another one that, you know, that I'm thinking of is Ephesians chapter 2. 
Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called circumcision, uh, which is made in the flesh by hands. In other words, Jews like to point out the fact that you're Gentiles and that you're not Jews. And the implication is that you're uh, lesser, that your status is lesser, and that you don't matter to God. That's the kind of implication behind what Paul's saying. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, it doesn't matter how abused you may have been. Paul isn't saying this. I'm just kind of observing uh, kind of a a necessary implication of what he's saying. Uh, It doesn't matter how abused you were by Jews in the past. The facts are you were dead in your sins and you were destined for hell. Mm -hmm. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two and so making peace Mm. and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility, the, the hostility between Jew and Gentile. There is no greater force in the history of the human race for racial reconciliation than the cross. Mm -hmm. Because that was one of the explicit aims of the cross. So I don't embrace another kind of racism to correct past racism. I double down on the gospel. And as a matter of fact, that is exactly what we see happening here at Firm Foundation. You know, you and I have been shoulder to shoulder now for almost four years. And, you know, one of our closest friends and partners in the gospel outside of this church is our brother Suresh in India. Yeah. And you just got through spending three weeks over there with those yeah. brothers. And so, with, with not a single thought in your mind or theirs about being white or Indian or anything else. No. And Suresh is not just our missionary. He's one of my best friends, yeah. you know. And, and, and it just shows that the gospel is powerful. I mean... We don't even think in those terms, like you just said. We, we, don't, we don't think about that. And the final analysis, critical race theory uh, is a horrific error. It's a factual error. It's factually inaccurate and wrong because the facts are that we don't have a, a systemically racist society here. We have a society where anybody can go as far as they possibly want if they put their shoulder to it. Mm. Which is why my family came to the United States from Mexico in the Jim Crow uh, 30s. Mm. There's no limit to how far somebody can go here, which is why people from every nation on planet Earth come to the United States for the opportunities that they can have. So just, uh, you know, we have we have a, a system because it's grounded in the idea uh, so far from being grounded in racism, but being grounded in the idea that man is made in God's image, uh, we have the structures in place to actually be able to correct wrongs like race-based segregation and slavery y- uniquely in, in the world. No other society in the history of the world has those baked into its system like we do. So critical race theory is just factually wrong, period. Uh, and there's 50,000 more things that we could say about that. But it's ultimately... It, you know, as unbiblical an idea as you could as you could possibly embrace. 
It's a horrific idea. Hmm. And the Bible's sufficient to equip us to correct all the past wrong. So it was a good topic to take to task here on the pastoral podcast. Yeah, I agree. Next week, next uh, episode, we're going to tackle world hunger. Okay. <laughs> hey, before we before we close it up, can we just what what are what are a handful of resources that we can put into people's hands? Well, I mean, I would point people to. Uh, was it man in the image of god by hokma hmm. um that's a just a great book there's a link to it on our website yeah yeah, yeah. foundational book on on man made in the image of god hmm. i don't think he deals with any of this stuff in there and you don't need to because all the answers are right there right what would you say for some others yeah well i would also say uh james Lindsay. there are a handful of um of extremely beneficial uh, treatments of this whole subject by secular people. Mm-hmm. Thomas Sowell, of course, is one. A number of different books. Conflict of Visions is good, uh, just at kind of a foundational, presuppositional level. By Sowell. Uh, yeah, by Thomas Sowell, mm-hmm. A Conflict of Visions. Another one is uh, Black Rednecks and White Liberals by Thomas Sowell. Uh, from a Christian perspective, Carl Truman is really outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, at tracing the development of the Western of Western thought, he doesn't actually get to the CRT issue uh, almost at all, uh, but he deals with the underlying developments throughout the history of Western civilization since the Enlightenment um, that that really explain how we got to where we got. And I think one of the big themes that you see uh, in history through through Truman. Uh, is that whole oppressor-oppressed dynamic. Mm-hmm. He really traces it out, going back to the Enlightenment. But there is a little eight-part series on YouTube that's really good. It's called, a, I believe it's called The Life of the Mind. But of course, he has a book that's incredible, uh, the, Li- the Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self. That's very good. I actually preached a sermon called Christianity and Racism from the pulpit here. At Firm Foundation a few you years did. ago, yeah. I would, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not commending myself, but I would commend, I'll commend it for you, I would, Tony. I would yeah. commend the content. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, one last one is uh, Fault Lines by Vody Bauckham. That's a good one. Um, you know, he, he talks about this issue directly, and then he also deals with some of the issues uh, within evangelicalism. Especially the the big issue with the SBC that took place a few years ago. Yeah, you know a couple a couple more just really quick is uh, there's a guy named John Stone Street mm. who is uh, uh, I'm almost positive he's Episcopalian. Um, he's some kind of uh, uh, just really a, a sphere of Christianity that is so foreign for us, you know, typical American Christians. Uh, but he's crystal clear on the gospel. And he's rock solid, rock solid on cultural issues. And John Stone Street appears almost every single Friday uh, on a news podcast called The World and Everything in It by World News Group. They have a little segment every single Friday called Culture Friday. Uh, 90% of the time, it's John Stone Street. He also has his own podcast called The Breakpoint Podcast. Uh, But John Stone Street is 
so sharp, so sharp on these issues. Uh, and he's very vocal uh, and clear when it comes to critical race theory. John Stone Street is awesome. And, of course, Al Mohler, the briefing. Mm. Al, Mohler's, Al Mohler, of course, the, 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 the powder keg that the SPC is right now over, over wokeness notwithstanding. Al Mohler has really been so clear, and he's so sharp about these things. Even though he was accused of not being yeah. uh, a few years ago at the Shepherds Conference, which was unfortunate, but if you Very do listen to him, he he is uh, he does shoot straight on those yep. issues. He definitely um, does. I, I do commend him because he really is brilliant and solid, and he calls a spade a spade on all of these issues. Yeah. And, and to uh, discount him would be sad. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. He's right on on the issues themselves. Whether or not he handles things that happen at Southern Seminary or whatever, the way that we would all like him to is a different subject. But as far as, as, far as where the biblical position on, on these issues, there's zero question. Um, and by the way, all of these resources can be found on the Firm Foundation website. That's right, and if you order no. now, we'll, <laughs> we'll throw in a, a free gift. You can go to the Firm Foundation website and find resources for Christians, and you can just find tons of different resources, specifically on the uh, on the News and Worldview page. I also wrote, uh, I think, an article that might be helpful on this issue. Yeah. Um, a long time ago when this first came out, I think it's called... Uh, BLM and the Devil's Dictionary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. What it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great article. All yeah. right. Looks like it's a wrap. We've solved this problem. The wrap. So, moving on to next time on a pastoral podcast. Mm-hmm.